Well, there's a man named Nabil Qureshi. He died a couple of years ago at the young age of 34. He was um, a devout Muslim that gave his life to Christ and was a powerful force for God's kingdom. Now, he had a really great friend named Sahar. He described Sahar, she was a devout Muslim as well, but was interested in Christianity. And one of her big hang-ups was that, how can God become human? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You know, that, that seems beneath God to go through a birth canal and have to go to the bathroom. And Qureshi kind of affirmed her questions and said to her, well, what if you were going to a very important ceremony and you had prepared multiple hours in your best dress and everything ready for this very important ceremony, but as you're about to arrive at the ceremony, you see that your daughter is drowning in a muddy pool. Would you go sacrifice your dignity before the great ceremony to save your daughter? And without hesitation, of course, she said, yes, I would. And he goes, but what if there were other people around you capable of going to save your daughter? Would you send one of them to do it? She goes, no, of course not. No one cares like my daughter, like I do. I would go do it. And Nabil Qureshi said, well, if you being human would be willing to give up your dignity for that evening to go save your daughter, how much more would a loving God give up his majesty to come save you? And this story worked powerfully in the heart of Sahar, and she gave her life to Christ. I praise God for this story and for how God used Nabil to speak into our life, speak the truth of the gospel. And for many of us here this morning, we've already made that decision to follow Christ. You've already made that decision. But for many of us, we're wondering, well, what's next? Now I'm with Christ or I'm in Christ. I'm with Jesus. What do I do next? How do I live a meaningful life now? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at three simple and decisive ways to live a meaningful life right here from the text. But before we jump into that, I want to just point out something. I know in a room this size that not everyone in here has given their life to Jesus. That you're maybe brand new and you're exploring that idea. Or maybe you're hiding in plain sight that you've been in the church for a long time, but you've just never really surrendered your life to Christ. I hope that you get a big glimpse of Jesus this morning and what it looks like to follow him. And in that, that you would be encouraged and convicted to make a step to make your life about Jesus. I've been praying for you this week. So, let's jump into the text. We're in Colossians chapter one. As we're jumping in, you're turning there to give a little context. Paul is writing to the book, or writing to the book, writing to the church in Colossae. And he did not start this church. He doesn't know most of the people, unlike a lot of the other letters. But one of his buddies, Epaphras, is the one who did that. And he's traveled all the way from Colossae to Rome, where Paul is there in prison, telling him all the things that have been going on in the church. And Paul starts this letter of praising them and saying, you guys are awesome. You're loving each other and faithful. It's so incredible to see. And then he jumps into what is a, this super rich, deep theological poem verses 15 through 20 
and he's responding to something very particular going on in the church that those in the church have seen Jesus as this way to life with God, but that's the only just part of the equation. But then I have the other thing that rules my music, rules my sex, rules my money. And he goes, whoa, guys, you need to see the bigger Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at right into the poem, verse 15 through 20. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's stop right there. We could probably spend an entire series just in that poem. It is jam-packed with stuff. But there's one thing that's clear. When we think we've got a handle on how awesome Jesus is, he's way more. Way more. More. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's magnifying King Jesus. He's making him better, more important, more amazing. Not more than he is, but showing them that he's more than the Colossians are thinking, more than we sometimes think he is. And the key to unlocking this morning is going to be looking at verse 16. So let's look at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. I, this is so important. I want us all to say that last bit together. I want to say this with me. All things were created through him and for him. Through Jesus and for Jesus. Through him and for him. Paul is just hugely magnifying going, everything was made through Jesus and it's for Jesus. And what, what do I mean by magnify? Well, I, I kind of was trying to explain it in making things bigger, pointing things out, showing how amazing something is. But I want to use a really silly and simple example to just show you what I mean by magnify because I'm going to use it all throughout the sermon. Who's played Mario Brothers? Mario Brothers. Or at least you know what it is. And you're going, wow, that was a left turn. Um, <laughs> but Mario Brothers, uh, you know, think this is a Mario plumber guy with these bricks and these weird Goomba creatures. And then there's these other creatures that are, you know, like flying Koopa Troopas, Koopa Paratroopas, the actual name. And uh, anyway, and so you got these things that are flying, and you got that cloud guy, Lakitu, to throw the little spike guys down. And then you got these platforms that go up and down with the strings, everything within the physics of the game. And it's just, you just, it's wow. It's one of these incredible games that was made. Uh, but then I want you to look at something right here. 
you know, you run around, but then there's these bricks. They're floating in midair. <laughs> there are no wings. There are no strings. There are no rockets. There are no pillars. They're just floating in midair. I bet you haven't thought about that before. I'm serious. I mean, it's just floating there. It makes no sense within the physics of the game. Yet, somehow, in the design of the game, he made you not think about it. How awesome is this designer, this incredible game, and then did things that you didn't even know that he did, and you've enjoyed this game. See, what I was doing there was magnifying the designer. It was helping you see things that you didn't see, helping you know things you didn't know, and that is what Paul is doing. That is what we do when we magnify Jesus. So Paul is almost saying here in this passage, we can't overemphasize, overestimate, or overmagnify Jesus. We can't. Everything, including you and I, was made through him and for him so that everything needs to be about him. And we need to make him bigger in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our families, in our world. But I know part of that is going, okay, magnify. That's kind of the meta answer for how to live a meaningful life. But let's get a little more tangible and look at these three simple ways. And Paul models it right here. It's the point one. Magnify King Jesus by living a life of awe. A life of awe. Be awestruck by Jesus and all that he's made. And one of the ways I was recently awestruck, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago and I was at, at family camp. And I know a lot of you guys um, are very competitive about camps. I was at Camp Lebanon. You're as competitive about what camp you go to as what college football team you follow. But I just want to make one thing that's clear. The best camp is the one you're at. Because you are removed from the norm. You are removed from technology. You are engaged with your kids. It's just amazing. There's swimming and outdoors and games and just all this incredible stuff, getting to enjoy the lake. But I, I, on this trip, uh, on this same lake here, I, I did um, grace my best friend and consequently the lifeguard with a high dive belly flop. That was painful. Much more painful than I remember as a teenager. I was feeling that thing till the next day. But uh, anyway, but something stuck out to me on this trip. Um, this whole family camp week was about creation, and they had these creation hunts. And uh, there was this guy, Brian. And this is Brian with his grandson. He's a pilot and nature enthusiast. And he led these creation hunts. And he would talk to the kids and he'd say, okay, I want you to look for anything creeping and crawling or jumping or flying and, and just point it out to the people next to you and just be in awe of what God has made. And um, he said to the parents and grandparents, he said, just watch the kids. And he wasn't saying be in charge of them. He was saying watch what happens with the kids. And wow, he was right. I mean, they were going, come over here, look at that frog, look at the spot on him, look at that snake, he's slithering, catch him, look at that bird, it's going to catch something over here. And they're just exploding with awe and wonder 
of the outdoors there. But then we came to a tree. And he said, well, there's kind of two kinds of trees. There's deciduous and coniferous. And deciduous are going to lose their leaves, and coniferous are going to keep their needles. And then he goes, and this one right here is a deciduous conifer. <laughs> and I'm going, okay. And he goes, it's the only one of its species in all of Minnesota. Ooh, I'm leaning in. He goes, and this right here is a fresh growth. It's never been grown before, and it's super soft. Touch it. And I go to touch it, and as I do, he goes, oh, that's the first time that's been touched by human hands. And I'm like, this dude is a genius at creating <laughs> awe and wonder, and he's all doing this to point us towards this amazing creator. It was Incredible, and that's what Paul's doing in this passage. Everywhere we look, the trees, the wind, the neighbor next door, your changed heart, everything in awe of what Jesus has done because it's made through him and for him. And so here's, here's the handlebars on this. You know, we can live a life of awe, but I think a little handlebar, some, a step for you to take would be to add Jesus is amazing to your vocabulary. Jesus is amazing. Okay, I want you to do something, and I'm not going to make you talk to your neighbor, but look at your neighbor on your left, or someone across the aisle or behind you. Just look at your neighbor on your left. Look at your neighbor on your left. Okay, now switch. Look at your neighbor on your right. Look at your neighbor on your right. Perfect. Okay. Now, based on what you just saw, I want us to practice. Let's say this together. Jesus is amazing. Now, those of you that were less enthusiastic were less impressed with what you saw. And you need more work in this area of awe because we are humans and we are awesome. God made us in his image. But let's add Jesus is amazing to our vocabulary because all things were created through King Jesus and for King Jesus. And John Piper, an author, theologian, pastor, he, he said this, if created things are seen and handled as gifts of God and as mirrors of his glory, they need not be occasions of idolatry, worshiping false gods, but if our delight is in them, is always also a delight in their maker. Through Jesus and for Jesus. And we are to be awestruck by him to live a meaningful life because we are seeing the meaning and purpose in things and in each other. But let's continue. Let's look for the second way. We're going to jump back into the text and we're going to start in verse 21. <coughs> and 21, uh, chapter 1, tw verse 21. Here we go. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I can hear that verse every day. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. In this verse 23, 
N.T. Wright puts it this way in his translation, solid on your foundation, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Never shifting. So that's our second way. We magnify King Jesus by living a life built on the gospel. A life built on the gospel. Okay, Jonathan, I get the awestruck thing, and I get that, but isn't the gospel just the good news of Jesus that saves us? How do I like build my whole life on that? But, that? but that's just it. It's much more than that. The gospel is saying God is real. Jesus is him. He came and lived a template for the life that we're supposed to live. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he was resurrected to conquer death. And now he's invited you into his family now and forever. Into his kingdom now and forever. Into his purposes. Bringing them about here in our world now and forever. That is incredible news. That's good news. Jesus is amazing. See what I did there? I used the first point to help my second point. Anyway, you see what I did there. Okay, but now let's look at chapter two. And uh, verses six and seven, and I am gonna be using the N.T. Wright translation for the reasons I said earlier, and so uh, I'm gonna read it right here. So then, just as you received King Jesus the Lord, you must continue your journey in him. You must put down healthy roots in him, being built up brick by brick in him, and established strongly in the faith, just as you were taught, with overflowing thankfulness. Brick by brick in King Jesus. Healthy roots in King Jesus. Remember the Colossians were having Jesus as one of the gods, one of the ways, part of the equation, and Paul is saying, no, King Jesus is all. Everything is to be about him. Everything is to be for him. Everything is to be built for him and on him. And when we live a, a life built on the gospel, it's letting King Jesus inform and influence every aspect of our life, holding firm in the grace we've received, having been enemies of God, and now put holy and blameless in the sight of God because of what Jesus did. Now, I'm gonna just give one step that we can take today in this. How, how can we do this? How can we move forward in this, and so to not shift away from the gospel, we must proclaim the gospel. To build our life on the gospel, we have to proclaim the gospel. Paul talks about this in verse 28 of chapter one. He says, he is the one we proclaim, King Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, I'm gonna share a story real quick and I want you just in your mind to just put politics aside for a second. And in 1982, there's this great story of Ronald Reagan. And I'm gonna read the story for you. I just read this week and it shows what happens when you proclaim the gospel, build your life on it. It was 1982 and something tugged at Ronald Reagan on that August weekend. The president noted in his diary, more of Saturday's work plus a long letter I have to write to Loyal. I'm afraid for him. His health is failing badly. 
Loyal Davis, Reagan's father-in-law and a neurosurgeon, was just days away from death. Something else worried Reagan. The dying man was an atheist. Davis once wrote, I have never been able to subscribe to the divinity of Jesus Christ nor his virgin birth. I don't believe in his resurrection or a heaven or hell as places. Reagan, on the other hand, believed everyone would face a day of judgment and that Davis's was near. So the most powerful man in the world put everything else aside, took pen in hand and set out on an urgent mission to rescue one soul. This letter was found in the Reagan Library as part of Nancy Reagan's personal effects. It read this. Dear Loyal, I hope you'll forgive me for this, but I've been wanting to write you ever since we talked on the phone. I'm aware of the strain you are under and believe with all my heart there is help for that. It was a miracle that a young man of 30 years without credentials as a scholar or a priest had more impact on the world than all the teachers, scientists, emperors, generals, and admirals who ever lived all put together. Either he was who he said he was or he was the greatest faker and charlatan who ever lived. But who would a liar and faker suffer the death he did? Reagan wrote out John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then added, We have been promised that all we have to do is ask God in Jesus' name to help when we have done all we can. When we've come to the end of our strength and abilities and we'll have that help. We only have to trust and have faith in his infinite goodness and mercy. Now, did the letter have any impact? Nancy Reagan, who was with Loyal Davis when he died, and who saved the letter he received from his son-in-law, would later claim that her father did turn to God at the end of his life. But I want you to think about what happened in your mind, in your heart, as I read that story. Ronald Reagan proclaiming the gospel, affecting his father-in-law affecting Nancy, affecting himself, and affecting so many others that have heard this story. Because the truth is we can't know the full effects of proclaiming the gospel, but we can be sure of a few things. And here are the things that we can be sure of in proclaiming the gospel. It magnifies Jesus. Shows him for what he did and how incredible he is and how amazing he is by sharing the gospel. Secondly, it also, it changes us. When we tell this story, it reminds us of our own story and what Jesus has done in us, and it continues to build our life in that story, the one story. And thirdly, it is meaningful because it is God's story, and sharing it is always meaningful. When John Piper asked his dad toward the end of his life, what was the key to joy? What was the most meaningful part of life? His dad quickly, almost without hesitation, said, talk to people about Jesus. Key to joy, key to meaning in life. Talk to people about Jesus. And kids, if you're in here, and parents and grandparents, I want you to hear this. A great author and Bible teacher named Jen Wilkin was on a podcast, and she had this to say. Perhaps the most powerful 
evangelistic phrase you can teach a child is this. Do you want to come over to my house? Invitations to join the family of God often begin with invitations to join your family at the dinner table. Hospitality is so rare these days. If we raise hospitable children by modeling hospitality in our home, then we develop a culture of invitation among our family. So let's be a people that proclaim the gospel, that are awestruck by King Jesus, talking to people about Jesus and telling them he's amazing. Now, let's quickly look at the third and final way. And we're gonna be looking at chapter two, verses two and three. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom in knowledge. So here's the third way. We magnify King Jesus by living a life of love in the king's family. In the king's family. Now why do I say king's family? Well, I'm getting that from the start of the letter, which we didn't read, which is in verse two, and Paul addresses them to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ or faithful family of the king. It's another way to say that same thing. Paul wants the family, as we read in the text, to be encouraged in heart and united in love. And so I want us to skip ahead a little bit into the letter and look at chapter three. I'm gonna read again from N.T. Wright's translation here, verses 13 through 15. And it says this, I'll put it on the screen. You must bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against someone else, you must forgive each other. Just as the master forgave you, you must do the same. On top of all this, you must put on love, which ties everything together and makes it complete. Let the king's peace be the deciding factor in your hearts. That's what you are called to within one body and be thankful. You must bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, Forgive them. So I want us to ask a a very careful question. If the extent that you are living in the king's family doesn't allow for close enough relationships where forgiveness would be needed, are we living like we're supposed to in the king's family? Are we living like we're supposed to in the king's family? Family, you see, because the people that we are closest to get the ugliest version of us. Those laughs were truth laughs going, oh, that's true. I know that. And the person next to him going, yep. Um, But here's the best part about that in God's family is that where the ugly is exposed is where we can experience the most love. And we know God knows everything about us yet forgives us in what he did in Christ Jesus. And when we live a part of close relationships in the king's family, we get to experience the grace and love of forgiveness through the brothers and sisters in our family when we need it most. 
And that's why Paul calls us to bear with one another. Because when these ugliest parts boil to the surface, we do get to experience that love and grace. But even furthermore, we get to use God's word and each other to encourage and skim that yucky stuff off the top. Help change us, be more like Jesus, more like mature followers of Jesus. And this is a powerful thing to experience. I've been in, at Five Oaks for 13 years and I have countless brothers and sisters in which I've lived life like that with and I could share many stories with you about that. Don't miss out on an opportunity to do that because it is what God's designed to help us be the new creation we are in Christ, to continue to be more like him. In chapter three, verse 10, it says, I and have put on the new self, that's the new creation of Christ when we put our faith in him, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So as we looked at today, kind of bringing everything together, we saw that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We are created through Jesus and for Jesus. We are being renewed into the image of our creator, King Jesus. And we do this as part of living closely in the King's family. So what's the handlebars on this one? What, 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 do, I, what do I do with this one? How do I do that? Oh, well, because I know I can't do that just in a worship service on a weekend. Well, here, here it is. Get in a small group. Find people, that's the place where that can possibly happen. To have this going, maybe it's a men's group or a women's group or a mentoring group, but we know we're meant for close relationships and this is how God uses it for love, grace, and shaping us to be like him. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, that's the small group's pastor up there. And you just said, get in a small group. <laughs> of course he has to say that. But I, I wanna make something really clear. I don't care if it's at Five Oaks. This is so important to God and to what I see in scripture that I don't even care if it's at Five Oaks. But find people who are committed to Jesus, committed to the Bible, and committed to you as God's family. This is so important. Please don't miss out on one of the big ways God's meant for us to live a meaningful life. Now, to those of you that I talked about earlier who are still unsure about Jesus, still unsure about what it means to follow him or um, you're just trying to figure things out or maybe you've been in church in a long time and you've heard something like this before, I, I have been praying for you this week and I hope that you heard something about Jesus today that makes you go, yep, I was going this way with my life but I need to go this way towards Jesus. And, and I know, like I shared in that first story, that God in all his majesty came in and through King Jesus to show that he was king over all of creation and everything is moving towards what he is doing. And I invite you to make a decision to follow him today. And if you do that, I, I pray that you would just write that on communication card, just something to let me know. And I'd love to talk with you, follow up with you because this is too important to wait on. I, I just talked with someone last night 
who had said that his dad didn't make a decision to follow Jesus until way later in life. And he told his son, I wished I would have made this decision earlier. So much meaning and purpose and joy and amazement that I wasn't experiencing because I waited till way late in life. So make the decision today. And as we do have a time of response, let that be your response. And for the rest of us, maybe there's something God's been stirring in our hearts as we move into this time of response, finding what God is doing in our hearts and our minds and through his word. And we have communion every week that's proclaiming the gospel, God's body, Jesus' body, broken for us, his blood shed for us, dipping the bread into the cup. We invite anyone who's a follower of Christ to take communion and remember that until he comes. And we do that during the first song, and you can do that at any time during that. There's no order or rhyme or reason to it. But maybe you need prayer and you're just, something's going on in your life and you just need someone to pray for you. Or you just need time before God, kneeling in the back. Or maybe you know someone that's far from God and you're thinking about talking about Jesus to others and you just want to pray for that conversation. Come up and pray for the light of Christ in that person's heart. But let's respond to what God's doing and take that beyond just the next 10 minutes, but into the rest of our week and our life. Let's pray.